0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the Product Marketing Life Podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance. I'm your host, Mark Cassini, Product Marketing Manager at Jobber. Every two weeks, I connect with PMMs all over the world about a product marketing topic of their choice. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Ferhan Manjiani. Ferhan is a seller-turned-product marketer. He is a graduate of the University of Texas at Austin, where he majored in economics and minored in African and African diaspora studies. After graduating, He sharpened his teeth in sales at early stage startups in four countries on three different continents before pivoting into product marketing. Today, he is launching the next generation platform for incident response and management, IRM, at Grafana Labs. At Grafana Labs, Farhan and his team support organizations monitoring, visualization, and observability goals with their Grafana, Loki, and Tempo solutions. Grafana Labs helps users get the most out of Grafana, enabling them to unify their disparate monitoring Avoid vendor lock-in, and the spiraling costs of both solutions. During our chat, Farhan and I dive into the world of sales enablement, a topic he spoke about earlier this year at the PMA Summit Austin event. We explore what successful enablement looks like, what enablement material should be built, and who should own its creation, common mistakes product marketers make when approaching enablement, and finally, Farhan's framework for enablement success. Before I get into the episode, I've got some exciting news to share from the Product Marketing Alliance. Are you wondering how to align the product marketing function at your organization do your internal teams have little or no understanding of what product marketing is and the benefits you bring to the fore are you sick of being misunderstood product marketing alliance's brand new book misunderstood features first-hand knowledge techniques and case studies to help you demystify product marketing elevate the function and gain the recognition you and fellow pmms deserve learn how to effectively communicate the value you bring to key processes such as positioning personas segmentation, OKRs, and gain supplementary intel from the likes of Privy, G2, Hotjar, Intercom, Zendesk, Adobe, and Drift. Misunderstood is packed with takeaways that will propel the value of your role and the overall importance of the PMM function and isn't to be missed. Get your copy at pmmalliance.co slash misunderstood. That's pmmalliance.co slash misunderstood. All right, with that out of the way, let's do it. Hey, Farhan, how's it going?
1: I'm doing well, Mark. How about you, man?
0: Good, thanks. Super happy to have you here.
1: Happy to be here. Let's get into it. Awesome. So let's do that.
0: Let's uh, let's hear a little bit about your career so far and what you do as product marketing manager at Grafana Labs.
1: Yeah, totally. I started my career carrying a bag. Uh, for those of don't know, that's, that's tech sales, mostly at early stage startups on uh, three different continents, four different countries. I mean, lots of fun. And I always, you know, could put the words to it, but I didn't know it was called product marketing. I I used to talk about it as taking the guesswork out of product marketing as what I want, or sorry, the guesswork out of sales as what I wanted to to work into, get my way into. And I was never really able to figure it out until one day, uh, these folks like came into our sales floor. This is back when we were in person and they'd lead these incredible trainings um, where they just knew everything about our buyer, our market. And I was like, what the hell? Like, how do they know all this stuff? These must be like OG salespeople. And so I go and, I, you know, uh, ask what's going on. And they're like, hey, yeah, this is a product marketing team. Uh, what, what, what you doing on our side? And I was like, oh, what do you mean product marketing? Long story short, that's what got me interested in uh, shortly after made the transition. Since then, been responsible for go-to-market strategy, mostly for developer platforms. Most recently, um, in the speech text world, uh, where we went from about a million in ARR to five million in just under two years, that was a whole lot of fun. Zero-to-one building is, is kind of where my sweet spot is. Now, at Grafana, uh, doing very similar work. Um, so, Grafana is in the observability space, which is still targeting uh, developers, but specifically around how do you ensure your platform or product, uh, you don't experience any downtime. There's a lot of preventative things that you can do um, for that. Everything from preventing the issue, once issues occur, how do you quickly find the issues and what's causing them? And then once you've found them, how do you fix? Um, My product area is on the latter end. How do we actually fix the issues once we've found it? That's our responsible for
0: now. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for giving us that quick uh, and, and thorough overview of your career so far. And, you know, I've, I've chatted with a number of product marketing managers and product marketers who have started their career in sales. Um, and I've always find that journey uh, pretty fascinating myself. So I'm, I'm curious, and I've asked this question to some of those individuals as well. Is there anything about being in sales that you feel has made you a better product uh, marketer or any skills uh, insights, learnings that you picked up that you've been able to apply you know in your day to day in a product marketing role?
1: Yeah, hundred. percent it's, it's such a good question. Um, highly recommend it. Uh, no matter like how long it is in, in sales, I think to do your job effectively, you really want to spend time understanding each of the revenue functions as product marketers because ultimately that's the, that's the metric we're trying to influence. Uh, and understanding the folks that you're working with just makes it that much easier uh, to work with them. More specifically, um, whenever I've been responsible for win-loss, I've appreciated my, my sales experience, right? Because a lot of it is, like, got to get the right people on the phone, got to qualify people, got to make sure, got to take a pipeline, et cetera, et cetera. That general uh, muscle is something that I, like, well-refined in, in my sales hand. But also from a from a practitioner's perspective, right? The enablement of the information that you're gathering, right? Because the information is useless with you, your whole value add is how many other people understand what you understand. The enablement of that I think comes naturally to me because I understand the workflow. Um, And ultimately I think that's where you get into the difference, which I know I'm excited to get into the difference between enablement and then execution, right? One is teaching and the other is doing and you have to have both. Um, and it's important to stay cognizant of like where you have that skill cap more than like an organization has one or the other. And when they say they're looking for enablement, they're really just trying to get to the other half. And so, you know, the more of that spectrum you can cover, the more value you're able to add as a product marketing.
0: Yeah, I love that framing of getting yourself exposed to and really understanding all of the different levers at your org that generate revenue, whether it be sales, whether it be, you know anything else really that such as revenue, it's important as a product marketer to be exposed to those and really understand them. So I think that's some great advice for anybody listening. And yeah, you know, um, I myself spent a very, very brief period of my career in sales. And I I agree um, wholeheartedly that having that understanding of what the workflow looks like in sales just makes your approach to how you empower and enable those individuals that much more effective because you know day-to-day what they're going through, what their pain points are you know, what they might actually use versus be given and just feel like, oh, you're just creating more steps or more work for me. So having that level of insight and that understanding, I'm sure goes a long way.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent.
0: So before we get into the meat of our conversation today, and you touched on it briefly uh, just a second ago, but before we get into that, I'd love if you could just g- perhaps give some guidance or, or some advice on anybody listening who they themselves are looking to get a little bit more into sales enablement, either as part of a product marketing role or a dedicated sales enablement role. Um, obviously, there's a lot of overlap in those two disciplines. So it'd be great to get an understanding from you uh, of any advice that you can share um, for someone who's interested in going down that path.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, like I mentioned, right, the two skill, skill sets that you want to have here. One path is become a practitioner uh, yourself, right? Get, get yourself, earn your stripes in a sales role, pre-sales, post-sales, it really doesn't matter. Um, ultimately, like, you just, again, want how to understand how to navigate daily life with the pressures of a quota. You could think about workflow optimization all day, but you know, taking out, oh, I can just do my job and I get paid no matter what, that's very different from this is how I put food on the table for my family now I need to go find this information. It's a totally different mindset, right? It's so like just being able to speak with true empathy uh, to that goes a really, really long way um, and will head and shoulders set you apart when you're talking about uh, interviews, no matter who you're, you're talking to. Oftentimes, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a, a funny thing, but you'd be surprised the amount of enabled people that actually don't have any practitioner background. Um, often, they have the other side, which is teaching, right? You'll find that the best sales reps are really shitty teachers, right? Because they fundamentally believe they are unique in their workflows, their approaches. But an effective teacher really understands okay, here are the pieces of your workflow that I can replicate, and here's how I'm going to scale and teach others how to copy. Some of it is your own, you know, mojo, and that's okay. But here's a successful foundation that everybody can be doing. And if you can, you have that repeatable muscle you could take that to any enablement program again as long as they already have the other half which is the their practitioner so get really good at teaching or get really good at doing and then that's the best way into enablement
0: i really like that advice it's super concise it's pretty straightforward you know it's you got to be able to to walk the walk and and, and talk the talk and it's funny. Sales often comes up in conversation with anybody in any discipline in a business setting as being the one role that's always recommended. You get experience in. Like I, I, you know, can't count on on just one hand how many times I've been told. You know, whether it was in product marketing or beforehand to really spend some time in sales at every org that I have worked at, you know, go, go spend a three month rotation or a six month or even longer if you can 100%. in sales to really understand. Um, because yeah, there's, it is such a unique experience. It's so different for some of the reasons that you just mentioned and many more. So yeah, I couldn't agree with you. if If, if sales enablement is something that you're passionate about, you have to at minimum, you know, try at least try it. You might not be good at it and that's okay because not everybody is a skilled salesperson, but at least trying yeah. gives you an understanding of what it's like to, to be in that environment.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. It's totally different than shadowing, right? I think shadowing is like helpful if you have nothing, but like just do the job. Like you said, even if it's for a month, uh, right. Just like go through the ebbs and flows of the daily life, it'll change everything for you.
0: And I feel like when you go into conversations with someone in sales, having had that experience, even if it's brief, it just adds a little bit more legitimacy to what you're saying because totally, you know, the, the sales rep is going to look at you and be like, "You actually know what I've gone through day to day, even if it was for a month or a couple months." Yeah. Um, so I know you're just not just talking, you know, from your behind. You're you're really coming to the table with with insights and experiences that are going to be somewhat similar to mine. And I, you know, you can kind of earn that mutual respect uh, and that empathy, as you mentioned as well.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's all about earning the respect of sellers. That's a difference in adoption.
0: Absolutely. Right on. Well, let's get into uh, you know what we came here to talk about today, and that is um, really diving deep into this idea of of sales enablement and really evaluating what good sales enablement looks like, and you know uh, best practices. Um, and you did touch on this a little bit earlier, but I wanted to dive a bit deeper. You talked about this idea of sales enablement versus sales execution. Can you elaborate mm-hmm. a little bit on what the distinction between the two are in your mind and and yeah, any information you can share on that, I think would be fantastic.
1: Yeah, totally. Sales enablement versus execution is the difference between focusing on not just what to say, but actually how to actually say it. <clears throat> so let's take an example of, of your product marketer. You just released this awesome case study and you kind of go and you present to sales. Hey, look at this awesome case study. Here you go. Good luck. This is going to solve everything for you you skipped a couple of steps there, right? If I'm in SDR, I'm thinking, okay, where in my sequence do I need to put this? Is this something that I like put in every first email? Is this going to help my like open rates? Is this something that I send before a meeting uh, someone shows up to a meeting? It's going to improve my hold rates, right? Like I have a lot of questions. I just send put this everywhere all the time. Like I don't know how to use this thing. Similarly, if I'm an AE, uh, where in the conversation do I bring this up, which buyer uh, that I'm talking to will this resonate with, right? Again, is this something that I send before meetings, after meetings? Do I present this in meeting instead of a slide deck? Like there's just so many questions And that's the execution piece that so many people often forget, right? The enablement is like, hey, here you go. Now you just have this new messaging and positioning or asset or whatever. But the execution is like, how do I actually use this? The tactics um, that that you're using. Just like we rely on our demand gen counterparts as product marketers for the actual tactics of like, hey, what's the best way to actually get this message out to the right buyer, the actual channels, et cetera, et cetera. We do the same for our sales counterparts.
0: Yeah. And, and I think there are so many product marketers who, because they are so busy, can speak at length about experiences of developing enablement material that they're super excited about and they're super proud of because they, you know, they've got some real strong insights and they've maybe, you know, invested, you know, hundreds of hours into it, depending on the type of material okay. that it is. And they go to present it to sales, or they just send it over in an email or in a Slack channel and say, hey, we've got this new piece of enablement. Uh, We think it's fantastic. Here you go. But then that piece of, as you said, like giving the guidance on how to actually use it goes missing. And then we sit there and we wonder why is no one using this, right? Like why is, why are reps and calls not leveraging this material that I provided? And I think you provided such a a good understanding of exactly why that doesn't happen and why they're not using it because you have to go above and beyond and provide that extra guidance and and, um, direction on on how and why they should use it and and how to frame it up when to use it i think is an important aspect that also gets forgotten as well so i I think you're spot on and um i appreciate you providing that that really you know i think that's really actionable advice that i know a lot of product marketers myself included uh at times are are probably guilty of
1: forgetting yeah a hundred percent all about the tactics man. that's why people listen to these podcasts so let's give it to them Exactly. Well, and it's it's interesting too because in product
0: marketing, we always talk about you know framing things up for our customers, right? Whether it's through the positioning that we develop internally and then bring to market with messaging and copy, it's all about framing you know how your solution is the best way to solve that given buyer's problems and why they should care about that the most. But we often forget that we have to do the same things for our internal stakeholders as well. Right. Um, so yeah, I, just to reinforce that idea of. The same way product marketers approach their customers, we should be a- approaching our internal stakeholders, especially sales, because we rely so heavily on them to get the message that we're creating out face-to-face via email, phone call, or Zoom, or person, or fa- um, yeah, in-, in a live setting to uh, to get that message out there. Exactly. Cool. So... In your opinion, uh, what does successful and impactful sales enablement look like? Uh, you know, Is there a specific framework or assessment method that you use to evaluate the effectiveness of enablement efforts or um, approach to enablement in general?
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, my go-to framework is the three R's, um, which some of you may already be familiar with. Lots of people do check for understanding, but the first R is retention. A check for understanding is the... Uh, recency bias, right? Like you immediately finish something. Hey, did that make sense? Do you feel more confident? Great. Retention is a week later, two weeks later. Um, is there an actual behavior shift, right? Is someone actually adopting this work? Did something happen, or what was the you know whole purpose of that of that training? The second is uh, repetition. Whenever sales reps and calls, uh, right, or in the virtual world, you do it later. Uh, but a manager will go back and and ask. How did this go, uh, right? Like, how do you feel about this? Is this Discord or next to are ask? All these real questions. And if you have good partnership with your sales managers, as you should, when you're rolling out successful enablement, you can incorporate some additional questions in there uh, to see if the sales rep can then repeat back to their sales manager, the pieces of information that you were relaying through your enablement, right? So first you have retention, then you have repetition. And lastly, you have to recognize that again pressures of quota workflows you know if i have a five page one uh, five page competitor dossier right that i spent four weeks putting together the reality is from a workflow perspective i'm a rep i'm in the middle of a call and I can't remember what the hell we talked about. I know we did some like enablement about this, computer, but I can't remember in that moment in time and no one has asked me to repeat it. I need to be able to research. I need to be able to find it within the few seconds in the middle of a call to sound smart, <laughs> right? And, and get to the next meeting. That's all I'm trying to do at the end of the day. Um, and, and so that's kind of the last thing I, I try to check through Gong or talking to raps or otherwise, but first check for retention check for repetition, and lastly, when all else fails, how easy it is to actually research.
0: I love that, yeah, super simple, super easy to remember. And, and on that idea of remembering, how do you assess and evaluate retention at, at, at a rep to rep level? Are you leveraging uh, you know, offhand conversations? Or are you reaching out to them individually via Slack or in a meeting? Are you sending out surveys that assess their their knowledge and ability to retain it? Uh, I'm curious how you approach evaluating
1: for retention specifically all the above um i think it's actually not that different from what you would do for your product retention your product adoption rather right you have a bucket of leading indicators and you have a bucket of lagging indicators and you're constantly trying to optimize between both right what you're learning from lagging you're trying to put some changes in to see what you can change in your leading so a leading indicator is things of recency right like you finish something hey did that actually make sense (laughs) right Do you think you can actually use this? If so, tell me how, right? How are you going to, what's the behavior shift? What's the micro action that you can start doing tomorrow on your next call? The answer is, I don't know. That means I have bad enablement, right? Then we can look at that and say, okay, great. If I actually helped you out, we should see some changes, whether that's, it should be faster to qualify or disqualify. We should see some difference in the overarching sales cycle. Again, for that specific buyer, that specific competitor, whatever it is that you are targeting all the way through, let's look at our win rates now, right? Again, with that specific buyer, with that specific competitor or product or whatever this was on, did we actually see any change before and after? If not, why? are there only specific reps that are using this? Well, what are their outcomes compared to the reps that just said, yeah, screw your enablement. I know what I'm doing, right? Like what's the difference there? Can we look at things there and and gather some social proof? Um, Are reps, you know, actually recommending this to other reps when asked, right? Or are you the only person in the entire organization saying, look at this one pager? These are major red flags, right? That you really have to think thoughtfully about strong partnership to give yourself a gut check and say, hey, is this really useful?" If not, why help me understand.
0: And when you're presenting that enable material or sharing it rather with the sales team, do you find there are certain types of material that lend themselves better to, you know, an in-person or online, like actual presentation and coaching session, or are there other pieces of material that you could just get away with? sending again, via Slack messages, which some guidance in, 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 in how you sent it out or in an email or, or is your inclination always to, if I can, I'm going to walk people through it in a session and actually, you know, coach them through it.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think the medium is less important as much as thinking about the mouthpiece over the message. And so let me give you a specific example, right? Let's talk about, let's talk about um, a deck, right? You've rolled out a, a new deck, whether it's a couple of slides or a whole deck, whatever. The okay enablement is here is the deck, right? Whether that's an async or sync or whatever, here you go. Good luck. Go forth and conquer, <laughs> right? The good enablement is, hey, here's this deck. And here's also, hey, salesperson come in like tell me tell the rest of your team how valuable this is because I talked to you beforehand and asked you to say this on my behalf right but the great enablement is here is a sales outcome and the outcome is driven by the sales rep using the slides in this deck in a talk track in a real example uh, right and we do this with product launches already today we find some early adopters And then we get some success stories and then we plaster their face and their voice everywhere on our behalf, because we know it's way more impactful hearing from your peers than others. Enablement is no different, right? We want to be doing the exact same thing um, there. Pressure test beforehand and then show your results. They'll speak for themselves. At that point, you know, sales reps will be trying to figure out where this is. It doesn't really matter if it's like, oh, Slack is better or email is better. They're going to ignore it if it's not impactful. I love that. And it, it seems so obvious as you're saying it. I'm like, wow, you know,
0: that's something that, again, we do with our customers and our product launches, as you said, all the time. But then again, when we talk about, you know, taking those same tactics and those same learnings and applying it to how we're enabling our stakeholders internally, so so much of that gets forgotten. So I really appreciate you sharing that because I think it bears repeating and that reframing around if you're going to go to market with something, whether it's externally or internally, having those, that social proof, those testimonials and that actual, Hey, I've used this and it works and here's why you should care. And I love how you framed it. This idea of starting with the outcome, I think is such fantastic advice. And I'm sure our listeners will, will start, I would hope act on that moving forward when they're putting any material together. So thank you for sharing that.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. And then again, it comes back to good marketing, right? Like a good outcome is not an open rate, right? (laughs) That is a vanity metric. Who cares about your open rate, right? Like what is the actual outcome? That is dollars, win rate, right? Revenue, that is the North Star at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, and and again, like I think if you're not able to provide some of that as well, because, you know, uh, different companies are at different levels of maturity and how they measure internal impact of things even if you can't speak to specific win rate changes or revenue impact, you can at least again, use those informal testimonials and feedback from the team that have already leveraged it or or from people who are part of the journey building that material to at least get that initial sense. And then as it gets used and leveraged, then you can start to collect some of those insights and how effective it is and continue to build on that and roll it out either more broadly or just have it as a proof point and in your back pockets when you roll out future material to say, hey, We rolled out X, Y, Z last quarter, and this is what the impact was. And the next quarter, we're going to be rolling out, you know, ABC. And this is why you should get excited for it, because we hope to see similar impact. And I think just even having that is a good place to start if you don't
1: have some of those metrics right when you launch. Yeah, absolutely. It's always crawl, walk, run, right? You have to figure out the crawl, walk, run, and and make sure you're always intentional about the next stage. Absolutely.
0: So my next question here is, you know, just around... Enablement ownership. You know, oftentimes depending on the size of a company, different teams can have different parts to play in how enablement material is created. So I'm curious, in your opinion, who do you feel should own or drive those efforts? Um, should it just be you know owned and driven by one particular team, or should
1: it be uh, shared across a variety of teams and stakeholders? Yeah, it's it's a good question, and I think you know organizations are always different, but but fundamentally. The way I think about this is like, who has the skill sets? Uh, again, if it, I go back to the um, the teaching and then the practitioner. If you have lots of good teachers on your enablement team, whether that's a separate enablement team, whether it's product marketing doing it, you know, as part of the one of the many hats that they wear, whatever, you have to think about. Um, where am I collaborating to ensure that the other piece of the puzzle is there? That may be with your sales manager um, and and pulling them in. Again, from a practitioner perspective, pressure test this beforehand, before any rep ever sees it, or test it live with a couple of reps that um, are, are always willing, right? Like there's always a multitude of personas within reps as well. And the best reps are the ones who are always selling outside of the ICP. And they know, right? They've like properly forecasted and say, okay, here are my surefire things. And now I'm going to go experiment. I'm going to try to break into an industry that no one has ever touched. Let me go get that buyer that like product marketing hasn't told me is a buyer, but I think, I think I have a value prop for them. Those are the reps that you want to stay close to, right? Learn from them. Oftentimes they can be teaching you uh, something and, and then you can give that information back. And this is a data point or is that a trend that in of itself is informal, but like, these are very helpful enablement channels when you want to roll something out big, right, your new messaging, your new product launch, whatever, these are the same channels that you uh, leverage and and partner upon to make sure that you can answer all of those questions, which is, how is this going to help me in my XYZ workflows? If you don't understand those workflows, then you partner to understand them. If you understand them, fantastic, then you could just focus on um, fooding them internally and making sure you have the right social proof before you've actually uh, rolled it out, right? Like who's putting all the puzzle pieces together? That may, may mean, you know, seven different departments, and seven different people. It may be all in one, but ultimately think about the skills that you need to be successful.
0: You touched on something just now that I really want to just take a step back and kind of reinforce for listeners because I think it's so critical. It's such an important insight. And again, I'll, you know, thank you in advance for sharing it. This idea of, working with uh, sales reps who are going outside the ICP or out the, you know, the, the mm-hmm. industries that you've identified um, as part of any positioning and messaging work or enablement uh, work that you're, you're doing um, and leaning into that. I, you know, I myself have been guilty in the past of going through the process of, you know, creating buyer personas and, and identifying, you know, what our ICP is and where that ICP lives and what industries and what segments, and then getting feedback from reps, um, you know, maybe one or two in particular and say, in which they say, oh, I actually ended up selling our solution into this vertical with, you know, with this individual at this org. And the reaction being, well, that's not what we, you know, trained you to do. And that's not what we're supposed to be doing. Um, and in hindsight, after hearing you said that, I realized like, wow, that was a, that was a big miss on my part. Uh, and I'm sure other product marketers have probably made a similar mistake. Um, you know, I think we, we often think of product marketing as being this this new, really intelligent function within an org, um, that has really deep insights into what our, you know, our positioning should be and who our ideal buyers are. Um, but we forget that our sales reps are the ones living and breathing that every single day, and they have so much to share. So when you're seeing reps going outside of what you think was the ideal areas to play, you shouldn't shy away from that. You should actually lean into it and see to your point, is this just a single data point? Is this a trend? Is it something that we could be exploring more thoughtfully? Um, so yeah, I, thank you for sharing that. Cause I think that's such a super important insight, even just for me personally. Um, so I'll, I'll take that away and kind of apply that as I continue <laughs> on my career. So thank you.
1: Yeah, I, I will add, I think an important caveat now that I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about my my own experiences. I've made a similar uh, similar mistake, but on the other side, right, in which I thought we had found a brand new buyer, but fundamentally, like our product didn't solve that person's problem. And, you know, if we did sell them, they would have a really bad experience and they would churn. It's so I think there's always like a healthy balance of, you know, yeah, most of the time your hat is probably what does our product do today? And the sellers are thinking about the future, right? What is my, where's my next deal going to come from? And so they may have found a golden nugget, but again, that's where it comes back to that partnership where you're both pressure testing and you have the respect of sellers where they're coming to you and saying, Hey, I think I really have this versus people they don't respect, right. It turns into combative relationship. We're like, well, if I know better and you know, you're not a seller and this, that, and the other, it's probably because you don't have fundamental trust in that relationship. At the end of the day, they don't feel comfortable enough telling you that, Hey, I think this is an experiment and I don't know if it'll work, but either way, I think there's something to learn here, not only for me, um, but then you go back and you make sure the rest of the organization knows that as well. So no one else is making that mistake.
0: Agreed hundred percent. And, you know, on this topic of mistake, it's nice segue into my next question here, yeah. um, you know, nobody's perfect, especially product marketers. Uh, we're always trying to do different things and seeing what sticks. Sometimes it works out well, and sometimes it doesn't, um, you know, but I'm curious on the topic of sales enablement, if there are any common mistakes that you've observed either in your own career or just in looking at what some other orgs are doing, or maybe stories you've heard from other product marketers or sales reps, um, what some of those common mistakes are and how you feel product marketers
1: uh, can avoid them themselves. Yeah. Yeah. This is a good one. Uh, we already talked about one, which is just thinking about enablement and forgetting about execution. Uh, right. I think good enablement includes both. The second one that I see often, and it's so funny, I think you nailed it on the head. Like we, we always do this and we preach this with our product launches and external stakeholders. We forget internally is a generalized audience, uh, right. If we are trying to build for everyone, we are building for no one. And there is no, this website is for everyone, this copy is for everyone. No, it's always for a specific audience. Enablement is the same. If you've just scheduled a training with 50 people and that's SDRs, AEs, you have your CSMs, your AMs, your account managers, right? Pre sale, post sale services, like 90% of what you're saying is too general to actually be useful. And you're being written off as like, out of touch, right? Like this person has no idea what's going on. You have to, at the end of the day, understand their individual pain points and problems and tailor all of your enablement and recommendations to that individual person, right? Have, you can't, you know, sell an AE on how an SDR had better outcomes, right? They don't care at the end of the day. It's not gonna help them unless you can like very clearly connect those dots. So uh, don't make the mistake of generalizing your audience, tailor to everyone in the revenue organization uniquely. And then lastly, uh, introduction without reinforcement, and I think this is also something I am guilty of uh, a lot. Even though I have the sales experience, but I'm listening to a call, uh, and I and I hear someone positioning us or or you know going through objection handle, and I absolutely cringe at what they just say. And you chalk it up at the end of the day to like, oh, this seller just like sucks, right? Like, how do we hire this person? Right? Like, you just go into chalking up to bad um, salesperson. But then the reality of that is what's the alternative? What's happening in that situation? If we take a step back, that seller is trying to practice. They're trying to practice that new messaging. They're trying to practice that objection handle that you served up to them so well. But if there's no alternative to practice outside of live calls, then of course we're gonna be practicing on live calls. And if you want it to be perfect on live calls, you need to ensure that there's practice opportunities outside of that. It doesn't have to be run by you, but you have to be ensure you have to ensure that it's there, right? How often are your managers doing call reviews? How often are you doing batting cages? How often are you putting on the hat of a customer and running objection handles with your peers? If it's not happening there, the best reps are going to be trying, but they're going to be trying on live calls. Um, and those are those cringe moments. And so, you know, always take it a step further and think about, yeah, I introduced all this stuff but how often have I reinforced it? Because they're getting new stuff, you know, every week, every month, all the freaking time. How how much of that are you making easier?
0: Yeah, and again, I'm sure so much of the, those learnings that you just shared obviously come from, you know, having been in the role yourself, but I think it's so critical just to reinforce that last point of, you know, we're all busy people. We're all trying to manage a million different things in a day. And as a product marketer, you can't expect to deliver a piece of enablement material to someone in sales once and expect them to get it you know right away even if you've done all the things that you and I just talked about to make sure that the enablement is effective and it's going to be successful you have to give them the grace to try and practice as you said and, and sometimes we're going to get it wrong and i think that's perfectly perfectly okay and it's important to understand the why behind why they might be getting it wrong you know even though you may have done all the things that you and I just talked about there might still be gaps that you're not um you're not uh, finding until you do the digging Maybe this particular reps need needs to be trained in a different way. And it exposes you to a new ways to deliver that material. Um, Maybe it's just the time of, you know, the quarter, you know, I I think that's another part that I try and remind myself when I'm going to, you know, to, to a team with a new piece of material or a new announcement, where are we in the quarter? Are we at the beginning where pressure's a little bit off and just coming off a busy quarter, they're easing back into things. Is it at the end when they're trying to, you know, really push to make quota? Um, you're probably going to have a lot less uh, of a successful time trying to get them to retain, uh, and repeat, you know, and follow all those three R's. Um, as you said earlier at the end of the quarter, when all they're focused on is selling and trying to get to hit their number. So I think that's an important piece to, to keep in mind whenever you're having the conversation around enablement is it's okay if they get it wrong at first, because you have to think of that in the context of the individual, the time of the
1: quarter, the material itself, it's just important context to have. Yeah, a hundred percent. I use pipeline reviews as my proxy for sellers, uh, right? And we do this today with our account teams, right? We go to our CSM or our account manager and we're like, hey, is this customer pissed off at us for some reason? I want to reach out to them for a testimonial, right? We test the waters. You do the same thing with your with your sellers. Uh, read the tone, uh, read the follow-up emails and pipeline reviews. If sales managers are like sounding really stressed, there's probably extra pressure and it's not the right time to bother sellers with really anything, right? In fact, you should just be going into deals at that point and saying, how can I help you, right? Like what's what's something I can be doing to pull this up? Yeah, that's when you default to, this is not the time to educate about you know, what product marketing should be doing. You need me to pump out you know some collateral make you some slides? No problem, right? I'll do that because I, I need you and you need me to get this deal across the line. And then we can both work on something strategic after that. Sometimes you have to just dive in. But I like to use pipeline reviews as that like uh, temp check. Yeah, I think that's a great shout. And, and one thing I'll just
0: add to, to build on uh, what we just talked about is obviously, we know product marketing lives in the middle of a bunch of different teams. And obviously, during this conversation, we're very focused on sales. But one of the things that I've kind of observed and this entire, uh, this depends entirely on the org that you find yourself in, but I think it's important for product marketing to also be the connective tissue between sales and product in a lot of ways, Mm. specifically around the timing of important feature releases, right? Like I can't, uh, there's so many times I can think of where product is working obviously under their own deadlines and their own timing to ensure they're getting functionality out the door, moving on to the next big thing. But the sight lines into what that means in the context of where we are in the sales cycle gets lost. And that's where I think product marketing has to come in and say, hey, product, I know that you're super excited about this new functionality and you're already thinking about the next thing that you want to focus on and, and maybe this new product or service. But as we look at the broader go-to-market, maybe it doesn't make sense for us to launch it this month or at the end of a quarter, or maybe at this time of the year, because we know that our sellers are it's the busiest time for them and adding net new functionality and changing how they talk about the product and what features they're showing during a demo. It's just going to make things more challenging uh, and we might actually have a negative impact on, on, our, on our win rate. Um, so I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. And I've been fortunate enough where I've worked with product teams who have been open to those conversations and they've been totally good with things being you know product ready, but not necessarily launched fully until it makes sense to do that. So that's an important, I think, lens for any product marketer to keep in mind when they're thinking about go to market planning is what is the impact to the sales team and where is the sales team in their sales cycle uh, is this going to actually help them or is this going to hurt them at the end of the day?
1: Yeah, a thousand percent. That's such a good call out. I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, one of the reasons I like really enjoy developer marketing is people talk about like devs as like these totally like unique individuals, totally different buying characteristics, blah, blah, blah. And yes, you are you can't just take your B2B tactics and throw them at devs and expect them to work or it's not. Um, but there are actually not many differences when I think about just like functionally, developers and salespeople are actually very similar, uh, right? Like, so you're, and, and this is where empathy is, is so critical. Your product manager is dealing with a lot of the same things, right? They're thinking about uh, the morale of the engineering team. They're thinking about managing egos. Uh, they're thinking about uh, all these different things that they have to figure out how to, how to manage to ensure that productivity is ever increasing sellers at the other day one big bonus is you get the serotonin boost from the, seeing those numbers going up right and you can be coin operated there often isn't that that final loop to actually see the other side from a developer perspective and i've found that as a very helpful uh, empathy building exercise from uh, for product right it's, has won me a lot of brownie points is coming back and like, Hey, here's direct access to this customer feedback that you never really get to hear from. And oftentimes devs are like, yeah, I could fix that in like 20 minutes. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? Like this ticket has been open for like four months. And it was like, I didn't know. And I was like, Oh, well, here we go. Did this customer look at all this money would be unlocked if you could do this thing for 20 minutes, like, Hey, product managers, this cool. Can we make this happen? Boom. Um, and oftentimes just like, thinking about how can you break down the silos between organizations because product marketing is rare that we live in between all these like very fundamental functions uh, across the across the org most functions don't get that right they live in their own little world and like other things magically happen in other places and they have no idea how you can educate people and that you know builds your own credibility as like a trusted expert in the organization as well as just helps you get shit done yeah, agreed, and that's why I think
0: it's so critical for product marketing to be advocates for, uh, you know, especially sales um, when we're talking about the go-to-market strategy for an org um, and the product roadmap. You um, know, I've been fortunate enough again to work at an organization more recently where when a given product team was going through you know the agile process and in that discovery mode they were actually bringing in sales reps or sales managers to talk through hey what are what are you hearing in calls what are you hearing when you're talking to customers about areas that they feel we're underserving them today or net new functionality that we could be adding and and product marketing really should be the function that again is that connected tissue and and if they're not if the sales isn't already involved being the advocate for sales and saying, hey, you need to bring this rep into this conversation around this specific functionality because they've engaged with customer, again, you know, X, Y, Z, and they've heard all these different things. And this is really going to help ultimately bring a better product to market. Um, so, yeah, I know I know, we're kind of, both of us are, are really hammering in the same thing yeah. at home, but I think it's so important um, for, for you know, as we said, product marketing to be the link between sales enablement, uh, sorry, the sales team specifically and, and product when possible. Yeah, 100%. Awesome. Well, listen, Farhan, this has been a, you know, a really great conversation. I, you know, I, I'm sure you and I could talk about sales enablement, you know, for the rest <laughs> of the day, um, but we are getting close to the end of the episode. Before I let you go, I'll ask you my last question. And it's again, the same question I ask all of my guests and that's, if you could be a product marketer at any company in the world for any product or service they offer, what company and solution would you choose and why?
1: It's a good question. I, I, I've been thinking about this question um, for for a bit. And to be honest, I don't think I'd want to be anywhere besides where I'm at today uh, for a couple of reasons. And, and again, just Grafana Labs, it's really, really incredible for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, the distribution advantage of like being open source first, right? Having something like a million installations uh, already out, Today, uh, right? Like we're just trying to convert like 5%, 7% to commercial. And that's a really, really healthy business, right? Having such a big distribution advantage out the gate is very different from a lot of problems I've experienced where we're trying to like beg people to trial and then, you know, convert them from there. It's totally different where they already know, right? There is no awareness play. Basically, everyone is automatically in consideration and you can just do your job well and, and they'll convert. But the second is this concept of big tent is something that I really, really, really love, um, where it's all effectively in this space. Often people say, look, I can do lots of wonderful things for you. I can help you be preventative. I can give you insights. I can do all this cool stuff for you. But the kind of, you know, uh, in between the lines there is, well, first you have to migrate all of your data to me and I have to store everything for you or I have to, you know, you have to implement this whatever technology and then I can do all these things. Our Big Ten philosophy is the exact opposite where we know it's a super big headache, right? You want to store with us, you want to store it solution, we have it. But at the end of the day, you can keep your data exactly where it is. And we will still help you do all those things. We will still help you visualize on top of wherever your data is, even if that's our competition. Right. So and the reality is every organization, nobody wants a like single tool for everything, right? Like they just don't. You want best in class for the specific thing that they do really well, even though they advertise all this other stuff, they do one or two things really, really well. And you could do that as an organization and still have like a unified view at the same time. To me, those are just such huge advantages, right? That are lending themselves to a really awesome product, um, a really successful sales team. And product marketing has not existed for you know six, eight years of the company. It just started a year ago and we have like zero baggage. And we talk about this a lot as a team where now we have all our functions and there's no expectation that we're living up to of like, there's a very specific, you know, there's someone that came in before and they set all these expectations and now we have to live up to them. We can decide, we have green field here. We can totally decide What do we want to do as a team? What do we feel is most helpful, most impactful for the business? Cool team, let's all go discover all across the organization, come back, talk about what we learned and prioritize together. That is just such a like fantastic position to be in as a product marketer where you get to choose, right? Like what I want to work on, what skill sets do I want to refine, you know, this quarter, this half, whatever. And what is most impactful for the business? That is just like, it's also perfect, right? You have the money, you have the product, you don't have these like big pressures. You could just go be effective as a product marketer. That's just too perfect. I, I don't know that I'd want to be anywhere else.
0: That's amazing, and it's so refreshing to hear. Uh, you know, a product marketer find themselves in an org where you know, obviously, you're very passionate about the solution and and passionate about the work that you're doing. And I think that you're you're right. Where I think any product marketer loves an experience, and opportunity where they have, as you said, that greenfield and freedom and opportunity to kind of do whatever, whether that's because they're the first product marketer, it's a net new team, or, you know, it's just a new strategic direction for the company to really invest in product marketing. So, you know, I, I the reason I ask this question, because I think it's always important for product marketers listening to see how product marketing um operates at different companies what product marketers like a- about what they're doing today what they might not necessarily love and what they're seeing other companies do that really excites them so that when they're exploring opportunities themselves they can have a better understanding of what they themselves should be leaning towards so thank you for sharing you know all the reasons why you're you're so happy where you are and uh, that passion shows through and i'm sure that also comes through in the enablement material that you're putting together um because you're obviously very passionate about the solution you're providing your customers and the solution that you're providing your internal stakeholders uh, specifically the sales team so thanks for sharing that
1: yeah absolutely thank you so much for the opportunity um quick plug of course we're hiring of course <laughs> so thank you for that and and this has been awesome mark like one of my favorite uh, topics to talk about. Very open for anyone listening. If you want to chat more about enablement, if you want to chat about dev marketing, you want to talk about anything product marketing related. This is something that I just genuinely love. Like I don't know of any role that I want to be doing that isn't product marketing in, in some form or fashion. Uh, and so I'm really happy, happy to be here and and glad you reached out. So thank you very much. Likewise. Yeah. I'm even happier that you're here today. It's been a great conversation and I'm sure,
0: um, you know, we'll hear from you again. I know that you're a pretty active member of the PMA uh, community yourself and you've spoken at uh, an event recently. So for anybody who's uh, looking to learn more about your approach to sales enablement, specifically, uh, within developer marketing, um, I believe you held a talk uh, back in February of this year that I know is now available on the PMA website. So definitely check that out. Um, you know, Farhan, you're obviously a very, um, knowledgeable guy about all things sales enablement. So I definitely encourage anyone who's listening to uh, take you up on that offer to chat if they're looking for advice or guidance. So thank you for offering that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, part two of that conversation, by the way, everything sales enablement is going to be San Francisco. I just heard from Beth earlier today, uh, Dev Marketing Alliance coming to San Francisco in like September, October, something like that. I get the exact date right, uh, but we're going to do part two. So come out, let's, let's learn, let's chat some more. Awesome. Yeah. I can't wait. That's fantastic.
0: Well, yeah. Thanks so much for it. It's been great chatting with you. And again, I'm sure we'll be in touch again soon. All the best. Cheers, Mark. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic, or your role in general, that's one option if you want to flex your podcast hosting skills being a guest host is another and finally if you or your company want to sponsor an episode there's a third thanks again and have a great morning afternoon or evening wherever you are